0: As we're sitting, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that's uh, written in this book we call the Bible. We thank you for Paul, who dictated this letter for Timothy. And we pray, Lord, that tonight our hearts might be turned to you and that we might be encouraged, even when the situation seems fairly grim. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 9. You'll find it on pages 1196. You might like to have that in front of you as we look at this passage tonight. My wife uh, Elizabeth tells me that uh, I'm not very good at telling jokes. So I thought, well, I'll risk it and I'll start with a joke tonight. You've probably heard this old joke about the fellow who was told, cheer up, things could be worse. So he said, I did as I was told, I cheered up and sure enough, things got worse. And that in a nutshell really is what this, uh, this, the message of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 9 is all about. Now, we have to put it into some context. The apo- we've got to remember who the author was. The author was the Apostle Paul. He was writing from a cell in Rome, knowing pretty well that his uh, lifespan was fairly limited. Death was likely to happen uh, in the near future. And he wants to, believe it or not, encourage his young prodigy, Timothy, and he wants to warn him Of the days to come. Now it's clear from uh, 2 Timothy, we've been looking at, that the aged apostle was concerned for Timothy. He wanted to encourage him, but he was also concerned about the trends that he saw all around him and what was likely to happen around the corner. His idea was that if a man was not ready, if he in fact couldn't brace himself in advance, he might well be washed away when things got really hot. Well, in our passage of these nine verses, as, uh, as Alan said, things look fairly grim, but I do promise you we will have more encouragement next week. But uh, Paul comments on this situation in three ways in our passage tonight. Firstly, he talks about the the times and the location of difficult days. Then he talks about the nature and the characteristics of false teachers that are going to be found within those last days. And then thirdly, the results of this situation. So we're going to look at each of these in turns, which is why you might find it helpful to have the Bible in front of you. So firstly, the time and location. He uses the words in verse 1, the last days. And of course, an obvious question that we would put to ourselves is, what is he actually meaning by this? Well, he's looking ahead into the future, but he's also looking at the present time. We know this because in verse 6, he refers to the false teachers working their way into the community of the church. So, there are three possibilities the, uh, the writers say about what Paul means with return to the last days. It can mean uh, the time in the, between the first coming of Christ and the second return of Christ any time within that uh, context and uh, since Christ could have come at any time the entire church age can be called the last days secondly the term can be used to uh, refer to difficult times in different places and thirdly it can be used to refer to uh, times Uh, of of months and years preceding our Lord's return to earth. So three possibilities about what he actually means with this word's last time. Now, how can we think of this? Well, perhaps a useful way of thinking about this is to refer to things like the labour pains that women go when they're pregnant. A pregnant woman knows when she's about to give birth by the frequency and severity of her labour pains. And in the same way, the various things that Paul lists in these first few verses of 2 Timothy 3 will always be present in some form in the time between Christ's life here on earth and his second return but they will increase dramatically nearer the end of the age. So the question is, are we in the last days? Well, however you define it, probably we would say yes. We are living in the final days before the return of Christ to earth without trying to put any date or or anything like that onto it. But what are the characteristics of this period of time. What are the characteristics of this time? Well, verse 1, we see that they will be terrible times. Or another translation puts it, very difficult times. Now, the word terrible here is quite, useful, quite uh, different in the New Testament. It's only used twice, in fact, with uh, the other time being when it's used in Matthew 8, verse 28, when it refers to the two violent men possessed by demons in the region of the Gadarenes who terrorized their community. They were wild, uncontrollable men who lived amongst the tombs, And this particular Greek word used to describe them is used with reference to these last days. So these last days will be dangerous days. They'll be frightening. They'll be violent. You could call them savage times as men cast off all moral restraint and society begins to disintegrate. And so here we see that Paul is painting a picture of very serious moral conditions. But where will it happen? What's the location? Well, we need to realise that this isn't necessarily a picture of the outside world. No, it's a picture of the fellowship of believers. Because we see this in verse 6 to 8, where these false teachers worm their way in to the community of believers and teach falsely. And it's not just one, because verse 2 is people in plural. So what Paul is doing here, he's warning Timothy. He's saying, after I am gone, things are going to get worse before they get better. Buckle up, Timothy. Terrible times are coming. That's why Paul says, mark this, or understand this, or pay attention to this, Timothy. Don't be naive and think that everything is going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Be forewarned. Because be forewarned is forearmed. If we know what's going to happen, we won't be surprised when it doesn't. And I think for us, you know, this should be a warning, shouldn't it? As we look at the state of uh, of what happens within churches across the world today and perhaps into the future. But what are the nature of these false teachers who Paul says is going to come in What about them? What sort of people are they? Well, the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3 offers a sobering catalogue of corruption. It's It's really a shorter version of what Paul writes of in Romans 1, 18 to 32. It's what happens when people turn away from God. First, there's a total rejection of God. People are unholy, they're ungrateful. They're lovers of themselves, he says. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this leads to a total moral collapse because people love money rather than love God. They're conceited. They're without love towards others. They're boastful, proud, unforgiving, conceited, not lovers of what is good. And finally, as a result of this, there will be a total breakdown of society. People will be treacherous, rash, slanderous, brutal, and disobedient to parents, abusive and without self-control. So what's that really mean to us then? Well, it means, of course, that anything will go on. Anything can happen. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. And woe to the person who dares to question his lifestyle. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that in this terrible list, Paul includes disobedient to parents. Now, it might seem too trivial to be in such a solemn list, but for Paul, disobedience is the spark that ignites the flame that leaves the home in ashes. So, is it surprising that Paul talks about marriage and home life with such, such care and love. Is it surprising that we've got people today who are questioning the very nature of marriage and home life? Perhaps it isn't. But in the light of biblical prophecy, we see that we should expect this as we approach the end times. All these things will increase in intensity and in in frequency until we have the situation portrayed in the book of Revelation the total collapse of social order as men utterly rebel against God and destroy themselves and the world in process. Perhaps this is why Jesus, in Matthew 24, 22 says that unless these days were shortened, no one would survive. But we still haven't got to the end of the bad news yet because look in verse 5. It says, Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, the word form here means something like having an outward appearance of godliness. That's in the last days, as men turn away from God, paradoxically, they will become more religious and not less. Religion will become more popular, are not less popular, perhaps because people will seek some form of refuge in a world that has increasingly lost its way. They will ask the right questions, but follow the wrong answers. It will be religion for religion's sake, and not for the sake of knowing Christ. They will join in with church activities, sing and pray, and go through the motions, but their hearts won't be in it. They will deny the very power they profess to believe in. The gospel won't be a gospel of regeneration and change. In particular, they will embrace a kind of postmodern religion that allows them to do anything, to believe anything, to endorse anything, to live any way they like as long as it makes them happy. They will say things like, we don't need the Bible and the rules of the Bible. They were written 2,000 years ago, and they don't apply to us today. So as we look to the future, listen to what the teachers are saying. Are they saying these types of things? But thirdly, what should the, uh, God's people do in response to Paul's uh, predictions here. What's the response of the people of God, according to Paul? Well, notice how Paul says how we are to respond to these false religious leaders. Firstly, he says, have nothing to do with them, verse 5. Have nothing to do with these false teachers. Well, that's clear, isn't it? Have nothing to do with them. But it's judgmental. It's narrow-minded. It might be seen to be rude, and it certainly isn't politically correct today. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is, don't let these false teachers into your fellowship. We are to have nothing to do with them, even though we are to love them, of course, as Christ loves them. But we're not to allow them to influence the fellowship if they don't believe in God's word and God's power, and God's authority. Such people are religious, but they're lost. And that should be a warning to us as we look at our church and face the future in, the, in, in our lifetime. So, have nothing to do with them. But in verse 6 to 9, we see, be aware of how they work. He describes in verses 6 to 9 how these false teachers pray on weak people. Verse 6, They're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Verses 6-7. to Now, the Greek term weak-willed women can also be translated as something like silly or unstable women. And it certainly, of course, doesn't refer to all women, but rather to those that are unusually gullible. They carry a load of guilt for their sins about with them. They let their sinful desires get them into all sorts of trouble and situations. In contrast to this, of course, we should recognise our sins. Yes, we are sinners before God. We should admit it it before God, repent of it, and believe that the death of Jesus has taken the punishment for these sins. Because that will liberate us from guilt and bring freedom that these weak people don't have. But the principle generally applies, doesn't it, to all those that are easily led and easily confused. So don't be swayed by them. But also we see that these these false teachers are not new. They've been around a long time. When Paul mentions Janus and Jamba in verse 8, he's referring to the Jewish tradition that named these two men as leaders of the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses in the book of Exodus. Now, I don't know if you remember that, but when uh, they, when Moses was in Egypt, he, uh, with God's uh, working through him, he carried out some miracles. And these these counterfeiting and duplicating uh, magicians counterfeited what he did. He turned the rivers into blood. He called forth the plague of frogs, and the magicians did the same thing. And this suggests that in the last days there will be some spiritual leaders who are so in touch with demonic activity that they can duplicate the miracles of God and many will believe their deception. Perhaps it's no coincidence that God, that Paul uses a word for terrible times that was only used elsewhere of demonised individuals. Certainly, in the last days, there will be a growth in demonised activity until Christ comes and establishes kingdom on earth. But the greater point here is that the false teachers of Paul's day and the false teachers of our day and the false teachers of the final days, they have all cut from the same cloth. They've been around a long time. Be forewarned. Be forewarned. But be encouraged. Because their power is not overall. God is much more powerful. Because these verses, though giving us a very strong and bleak picture of the future, whether that's a picture of Paul's present time or the period since Christ's life, which includes ours, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to be to get depressed and defeated. As we see the news or read the Christian press, we may be tempted this way but I want to leave you with an encouragement that comes from verse 9. The important point is that the success of these false prophets and teachers will be limited and will be temporary. They won't be around forever because God will make it clear whose side he is on. People will see their foolishness, the foolishness of the false teachers and leaders, And just as the waters that parted from Moses also drowned the Egyptian army, even so, the hand of God that saves his children will come down in judgment on these false teachers. And remember, finally, that next week we will see more of how Paul wants to encourage Timothy to keep on with his work in Ephesus. He's warning Paul, in these first nine verses. He's warning him, so he will not be surprised that there are difficult times ahead, but there will also be encouragements that Christ will return, he will come in power, and that they can take hope in that. Amen.